You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Good morning, everyone. Very happy to be here. Happy to uh, hear Vincent's story and happy to hear be, be here again preaching uh, as we continue our series on the Book of Acts called Unstoppable. And just to give some context where we find ourselves in the book, uh, the book begins with Jesus resurrected, promising the Holy Spirit to the church, and the, the church receives the Spirit in the day of the Pentecost, and soon after the church is scattered because of persecution. And last week we saw one of those disciples named Philip going to Samaria and preaching the word, and they met this uh, man named Simon. And now we are going to continue that story uh, by reading the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So join me as I read the word, and then we'll go from there. It reads, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up, come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, his water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So this is a passage that is a favorite of mine, because growing up, I was always fascinated by stories of teleportation in science fiction. So this, this passage is... A, for sure, one of my favorite miracles in the Bible, because it, it must have been amazing to be Philip and just be teleported miles away and find yourself in a completely different town. But believe it or not, this is not the point of this passage. It's about something a lot more important. Uh, but I will always remember this passage for uh, this one miracle. To give some context to you know what's happening, who are the people involved, um, as I was reading it, and I started by talking about Philip, if you've seen the series The Chosen, maybe you've pictured the actor that plays Philip the Apostle. That's not this Philip. This is Philip the Evangelist, not to be confused with Philip the Apostle. We first meet him in the book of Acts when the apostles were too busy to take care of the community, so they chose seven to serve as deacons. Among them were Stephen, the one that was stoned a few chapters ago in the book of Acts, and this is Philip 
that uh, was among the seven. This is the Philip that was last week preaching in Samaria when they met Simon. And this is Philip who um, we see here and later again in the book of Acts. So, and the eunuch, uh, he's called an Ethiopian, which was a name that they gave for people that came from the kingdom of Nubia, which was also known in the Old Testament as Cush. So if you're reading the Old Testament and you see that name, that's the same kingdom as the kingdom of Nubia, which is where modern Sudan is, south of Egypt. So it's not what modern Ethiopia is, which is a little confusing, but you can imagine uh, where that was. And that was really far from where he went to worship in Jerusalem. And in fact, to the people of that time, for the people living around the Mediterranean, um, Nubia was considered to be the ends of the earth. So as we're going to see, the gospel begins to reach the ends of the earth at this chapter. And he was a high official. Eunuchs were often uh, hired as uh, high or served as high officials. He was a treasurer of the queen of Nubia. And he was probably not a full convert. So he was someone who knew, feared, and worshipped the God of Israel. But because, of he, because he was a eunuch, he could not be a full convert. In fact, he could not reach the temple. He went to Jerusalem and most likely on stay, only stayed in the outer court called the court of the Gentiles because he was an eunuch and he was prevented from worshipping at the temple. Um, and they met at Gaza, which was the last water, watering place for the, for the convoy before they went on a large stretch of desert. So it was very convenient that that's where they met, as we're going to see later. And the point of the, the passage is not really, you know, just to showcase the miracle of teleportation, but really uh, reminds us of what are the most important ingredients in the growth and in the existence of the church. And that is the work of the Spirit, and the work of the Word of God. So let's begin by looking at the work of the Spirit. The Spirit had many roles in the early church, and we see them being played all throughout the book of Acts. We see signs and wonders, and people coming to pay attention to the Word, as in the day of the Pentecost, because they saw signs and wonders, and saw there is something true, something powerful, something real in this message, because we can see it working in signs and wonders. We also see lots of healings and miracles and deliverances, which was really a continuation of what Jesus did, not only because it is, again, a sign that there is something true about this Word, but because God is pleased by seeing uh, people delivered, people healed. So that was a very prominent role of the Spirit as the apostles went to preach the word. There was a lot of healing involved. But there was something a lot more subtle than those, but no less important. And we see that all throughout the book as well, which was the work of the guidance, that work of guidance that the Spirit gave the church. We see this very clear in this passage as the Spirit tells Philip to go to this place and join this chariot, uh, giving, you know, specific instructions. And we see again in the life of Peter in a, in a couple of weeks and later in the life of Paul as well, the Spirit sending the apostles one way, preventing them going on another way, working things out so that the word would spread. And this is really really important for us because it does remind it reminds us it does remind us of a few important truth truths as we spread the gospel as we preach and as we grow the church and the first one is that there is no point in working for god if we are not working with god this is not our work our endeavor our idea our own little project this is god's work the church is god's idea 
and it is his work. So if you're working for him, we have to work with him. We are not alone and we are not supposed to be alone. We are supposed to be leaning on God for big things and small things. Maybe which road should we take? Which car should we join? Uh, so that everything will work out according to his will. We are not to do this alone. And this reminds us maybe of, you know, that famous psalm that says that unless God builds the house, we build it in vain. So unless we are doing this with God and he's building the church, we try to build it in vain. The other thing that is really important when we see these miracles, especially these small miracles, um, is that the church was not inevitable. The church was always a miracle and remains a miracle. If we look at, you know, the history of the church and the sociology of the church, you know, there would be a lot of explanations. Why did it, why is it that the church was so successful in this, in its first few years? Maybe the message really resonated. It was what the, exactly what people needed to hear. There was something really attractive. Um, so that gives this air of inevitability. You know, once the word is out there, it will grow. People will, you know, adopt it and, and commit to it. But as we look throughout the book of Acts, there is this very clear sense that the church is a miracle, that the church only happened and only grew because God was deeply involved, orchestrating every little thing so that it would exist and it would grow. It was not advanced by our power, whether it was political, military, uh, or powers of eloquence and speech. It was worked out by God and his power. It grew through people that were attentive and obedient to God's voice. That was it. People who were attentive to what God was doing and they were obedient to God's call in their lives. And of course, I hope that um, you understand that when I say that the church was a miracle and it remains a miracle, I'm not speaking of the institutional church because unfortunately, the institutional church, once it gained power. Sometimes it was advanced by human power, not necessarily by God's power. But when we speak of the communion of the believers, of people who have committed their lives to Christ, it was a miracle back then, and it is still a miracle today that the church continues to exist. In fact, if you see how astray the institutional church has been sometimes in history, it is even more of a miracle that the actual church survived those periods and survives even today in communities that might um, you know, have gone astray of their, um, of the word of God. So we need to live and preach and work in that way, remembering that it's not our doing, it's God's doing. And if the church is to continue to exist and it is to expand, it's going to take a miracle as it has always done. And lastly, the spirit works through ordinary people and circumstances. You know, you just need to read again this passage from the perspective of the eunuch. Up to the point where Philip was snatched, snatched away by the Spirit, it was a very ordinary um, encounter. He was, you know, driving his chariot or, you know, riding his chariot and then he was reading. Someone joined him and explained things to him and he was convinced of the truth. He wanted to be baptized. There was no miracle or signs involved. He was convinced of the truth um, in what to him was something very ordinary. He didn't see, he didn't have to see, you know, a healing or a deliverance to believe in the truth. And that makes us wonder how many of our ordinary encounters might not have been orchestrated by God, you know, to the tiniest of details. And sometimes 
we have been that Philip to someone as well with God orchestrating so that we would speak truth at the right moment, at the right time to the right person. So we shouldn't discount the ordinary uh, workings of the Spirit as well. We need to seek I believe so, uh, the signs and wonders and miracles as well, but we need to rely on the guidance of the Spirit also for the small, the ordinary, the little encounters that we have through life. So we see that the Spirit's working all through the book of Acts in big ways and small ways, in ways that are very uh, out there in some very subtle ways, and that reminds us that we need to lean on the work of the Spirit uh, to grow the church. But also we see here the need for the work of the word. Because what Philip hears the, the eunuch doing is that he was reading the word. Now, you might be wondering, would Philip have heard the eunuch if the eunuch was reading the word alone in his chariot? In fact, he would. Because up to, you know, maybe a few centuries ago, people always read aloud, uh, especially in ancient times. So anytime that you're reading an ancient account, whether it's in the Bible or any other ancient text that says that someone was reading something, even if they were alone, they were reading it aloud. It's almost guaranteed. And that's for a number of historical reasons. Um, but it's only late in the medieval period, in the early modern period, that people actually started reading for themselves and silence, which is what we do today. So it's strange maybe to picture this. But as the eunuch was going on his way and he had his own book, which was something super expensive and exclusive at the time, which is another evidence that he was a very high official in the court of the Nubian uh, queen, he was reading out, out loud, so much so that Philip heard and that's when he asked the eunuch if he was really uh, understanding the word. And it's really important that it wasn't just a miracle, uh, you know, that convinced the eunuch, but it was the word of God, because the word works when we understand it. Uh, you know, it's a very important, very central tenet of our faith that we believe in a God who revealed himself to us, that it's not a God that we figured out on our own, uh, on our own with our own philosophies and ideas and meditation. It's a God who took the initiative to tell us who he is, what he is like, what he has done in history. And the clearest description that we have of this God that we love and serve and fear is what we find in Scripture. It's, it is his actions through history, the words that he revealed to the prophets, and most importantly, the life and the work of Jesus Christ, who, who is recorded in Scriptures as well. So it's absolutely important if we are to know the God that we love and serve that we read what he revealed to us. Um, the, the, the scripture is there so that we know the truth, so that we, were rem that we remember the truth because we are prone to forget things. And most of all, that we grow in it, that it, you know, it's transformed into a different kind of life. They transform into actions. Um, I think it's impossible for us not to read the Bible if we really truly say that we love and uh, know this God. It's, it's such an immense privilege that we have access to it nowadays. Uh, back in the day, most people were not literate. They could not read the Bible on their own. As, as I just said, most people could not have a Bible of their own because books were very expensive. Scrolls were expensive. Later, when books came around, they were still expensive until a couple hundred years ago. So most people, most Christians in history, do not have the privilege that we have today of having a book and knowing how to read it. So it's a privilege beyond measure that we have the same access that someone, that only someone like a high official of the court of the queen could have at the time. So 
We need to read it. However, what good does it do for us if we don't get it? If we don't understand what you're reading? Every time that we read, we need to have Philip the evangelist here asking us, do you understand? Do you understand what you read? Are you just reading for the sake of reading? The Bible is not a book of spells. It's not an incantation that we say it aloud and something happens and we are changed because of it. That for the word to work, it needs to be understood. We need to understand what you're reading if this is going to transform our life at all. And this was true even of the apostles. Um, right after Jesus resurrected, the book of Luke in chapter 24, it tells of the encounter that two of them have on the road with the resurrected Jesus. And at the beginning, they didn't understand, they didn't recognize that that was Jesus. And they had the whole Old Testament explained to them by Jesus how was it that the whole scripture was foretelling the work that he did on the cross and his resurrection. And they had their eyes open. So even the people who were closest to Jesus in his ministry, they didn't really understand at the beginning until they were, until, until it was explained to them. And now we see that them, um, explaining them um, to people. So we need to have the things explained to them. Uh, no one is above, you know, needing some explanation when it comes to reading the Bible. And where do we seek that understanding? Um, it's, a, it's maybe an unfortunate uh, inheritance that we have in the Protestant and evangelical world uh, that as a rightful reaction against, you know, the Roman Catholic Church keeping the Bible away from people. Uh, there was a very good reaction, you know, by Martin Luther and other people to get Bibles in the hands of believers. Uh, however, we have inherited sometimes in an extreme sense that all that we need to understand the Bible is to open it, that for everyone, with no exception, God will come and explain the word individually. Um, if that were the case, the eunuch wouldn't need Philip. But it pleases God to use his disciples to clarify, to explain, to teach what's the meaning in the words to other believers. So we need, again, just like the eunuch, we need to uh, resort to faithful believers, faithful disciples that have, um, you know, wrestled with the word, with the word to help us see. And this is not to take things centuries back and to rely on, you know, authority to understand what's in it, because that's another fear uh, that if we are again, if we take away from people, you know, their independence in reading the Bible, that we are going to believe, you know, whatever authority says it is true, you know, that we only believe in this interpretation because someone of high standing or someone of many years of study or worse of all, someone with power said that this is how we need to see uh, or interpret the Bible. Uh, I understand it differently, and it's very similar to what happened with Philip and the eunuch, that when we have the word explained to us, we don't take things only because of authority, but we have in a way, the truth opened to us. The best example of that happening actually happened during the life of Jesus. Uh, I love this passage when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, he reveals himself as the Messiah and she goes and tells everyone in the town. And this is what happens as we read in the book of John chapter 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And look at this, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, 
it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They first took her on her authority, that she was speaking something true, and then their eyes were open when they met Jesus himself. And they could say to her, it's not because of what you said anymore, but we have seen it and we are convinced now. And this is the same thing with every time that I have leaned on other people who have studied the word more than I. Um, first, I had to take a few things in authority, but I don't believe in those things anymore because maybe Tim Keller said so or C.S. Lewis said so, but they have they help me sometimes see the truth in it. And now that I've met Jesus more fully, more deeply, I believe more so because I've seen him, not because so-and-so said, said that. So, and this is how I believe should be the model for us to teach the word, but also for us to learn from others. That sometimes we have to trust people who have, you know, a good history, who have maturity, who have good character, in the hopes that we'll see something as they guide us on our side, not as we look at them, but as we look at Jesus, so that we'll have a deeper, more meaningful encounter with Jesus, and that we'll believe because we'll see that for ourselves. So there is a role in, in trusting and leaning on others, but it's at the end of the day to get to know Jesus better and to trust him more and more. And this is what happened to the eunuch. He wasn't, um, you know, he didn't come to believe in Christ just because a rando on the street told him about it, but he was convinced he had a personal meeting with the truth and he was convinced by it so much so that he wanted to commit his life to Christ. And an another thing that's super important in this passage is that it's not the work of the spirit alone, nor the work of the word alone. It's always both in equal measure. We can never uh, do away with one of them. And this is unfortunately something that has happened many times, both in our lives individually and in the life of communities. I think it's clear when we see that in the life of different churches. Um, I grew up in a church who, you know, it started as a movement so um, really relying on God's moving to, in, uh, in miracles and healing and deliverance. And there was great enthusiasm and great, great growth and uh, great workings of the Spirit and lives changed and lives being uh, saved. Um, but after a generation or two of people relying only on the working of the Spirit with no interest in the Word of God, many were led astray by false teachings, by heresies, by things that were not true, so much so that a lot of that community has become something that sometimes doesn't resemble the gospel at all. Because there was, you know, a reliance solely on seeing the word, the spirit move with no interest in the word. But we also know of many communities who have such a passion to understand and delve into the word and understand every nook and cranny of it without any reliance on the spirit to the point that it becomes fruitless, that doesn't, it's not effective anymore because it's just a human endeavor to learn more with no lives being changed. And I don't say that to condemn communities. I say that to shine a spotlight on us because those communities happen because there are people who are very comfortable in one of these things and have no interest in the other. And, you know, because we have uh, some freedom to choose the communities that we go to, sometimes it happens that you have a community of people that only want to study the word without any workings of the spirit or people who are very excited about the workings of the spirit with no time for the word of God. We need both as a church, 
We cannot have all left foot or right hand, so we need both. And individually, like Philip, we need both. We need to rely on the Spirit, and we need to understand the Word. We are not to be comfortable alone with studying alone. We are not be, to be comfortable alone uh, in seeing the God move and say that, well, if we're seeing miracles, it's because we're doing the right thing. We don't need to go to the Bible. We need both. So we are not led astray, so that the Word uh, works its, its power and that spirit convinces people. It's neither one or other, it's always both. And we need to seek both as individuals and especially as communities. But what's the point of that? What's the point of having the work of the spirit and having the work of the word uh, work out in our lives? In this passage, we see that they both point us to the work of Christ. That's their purpose. It's to point us to the work of Christ. It's not the work of the Spirit for its own sake, because miracles are great to see, not the work of the Word, because understanding and learning is great, but so that we will know Christ better and that our lives will be changed by it. This is what would the, this is what the eunuch uh, was reading. He was reading about the word of Christ and he didn't know about it. He had to ask, who is this prophecy uh, prophesying about? And Philip, and Philip told him, it is about Jesus, who not long ago was crucified and resurrected. Um, he was reading this passage from Isaiah 53, a very famous passage about the suffering of the Messiah, which was very central to understanding the purpose of Christ's uh, incarnation, why he came, why he died for us, how he suffered in our place, and how his resurrection is the first fruits of you know God's restoration of all things. But it would have had even a greater meaning to the eunuch, because a couple of chapters later, in Isaiah 56, there is a promise of God for uh, people exactly like him. We read this in Isaiah 53, 56, verses 3 to 5. This is a promise of God. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I'll give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Remember that that man traveled from the ends of the earth just to get as close as he could to that God that he served. And, that, and the closest that he could get was the outer walls the court of the Gentiles. He was not allowed any closer to God than that. And what God promised him here is a house within his walls. It's a name, an everlasting name, a place in his family. And that promise was not something that a eunuch would have to wait for the future to happen. It could happen right there. He could be adopted into God's family and be admitted into this intimate relationship with the God that he loved. He loved so much that he jumped on the camel to travel, uh, you know, thousands of miles of desert to get close to him. He could be now part of that family and to serve that God more fully because of what Christ did. So much so that, you know, before he went into the desert, he took the opportunity of being in the last watering place before that long stretch of desert to ask Philip, I want to be baptized just like Jesus was. I want to identify myself with him. I want to be one of his followers. If he was baptized, I want to show that I am one as well. I'm one of his people now. I'm convinced by the truth to give my life to him. 
And that's when the passage ends. Philip is snatched away, which I think for the eunuch was uh, reassuring that there was something really powerful, something really true in that encounter as he went uh, on his way back to the kingdom of Nubia. Uh, he is believed uh, in the tradition of the church to have become a missionary of the gospel in his uh, land. Uh, the Christian church in Ethiopia is one of the most ancient churches in the world. Um, and many people trace it back to this one man and that one encounter that seemed to be so, um, first of all, unlikely to happen, but such a simple and quick encounter that would have such great ramifications through history. And remember that the gospel was promised to, to reach the ends of the earth. And that was the ends of the known earth at the time. And the disciples were seeing that already take place, the gospel being taken uh, to the ends of the earth. And Philip, after he was teleported by the spirit to this town of Azotus, um, he preaches on several towns until he settles in Caesarea. And in fact, we meet him again 20 years later in the book, in the chapter 21 of Acts, by the time he has four daughters who prophesy. But when we get to Acts 21, uh, we'll get to see him, see what he's up to. Um, until then, I think that we have a lot here to, to process, to think, to pray and to apply in our lives as we rely more and more on what the Spirit is doing, as we seek more and more understanding of the Word so that we will more and more know Christ and allow Christ to change our lives and increase our commitment to Him as we live and work uh, for Him. Amen. So let's pray. God, we Thank you that we have your word, that we have access to your revelation, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we will not forget this privilege and that you will use your disciples and your faithful followers to open our eyes, that you will speak us to us directly and also through your sons and daughters, Lord, so, we, so that we may know you better, so that we may know Christ better, Lord, so that the Spirit may be ever more present and working and powerful in us and through us, Lord, as we preach the word and as we continue, Lord, in this miracle that is the existence of your church, Lord, the body of Christ, your family, Lord. So we pray for the, we pray for empowering, Lord. We pray for understanding. We pray, Lord, to see more of you in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we may live ever more committed lives to you through Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.